doing this morning? Awesome. All right. Still haven't found our wireless, so uh, we've got another one on order this week. Um, but you'll have to endure me not being able to walk around, or whether, at least I will, have to endure not being able to walk around. I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, and if you're visiting with us, let me extend a, a very special welcome to you. Uh, we're always excited to, to meet new friends and to welcome them into our family. Uh, we're going to do something different today at the close of our service, uh, something that we have never done as far as I know since I have been pastor uh, here in the last couple of years. Uh, and that is at the end of our service, uh, Rick uh, Velik will give you further instruction on this later, but at the close of our service, if you have something that's on your heart that you would like to pray with someone about or uh, that you uh, would just like to have somebody alongside you to help carry the burden uh, for you in prayer. We're going to have a couple of our elders and a couple of their wives down front here, and we're going to have some music going so that you can have a little bit of privacy. Uh, but if you want to just come down uh, and pray with one of our elders or one of, with one of their wives, if you're more comfortable with that, we're going to allow you the opportunity to do that. We're going to just try this a few times, um, starting today and, and about once a month here for the next few months, and just see how it goes. Um, we really want to build a spirit of community and of love and of care for, for one another in our church. And, um, and this is a way for our elders to be able to care for you and to carry your burden with you and for their, their wives to assist with that. So we're going to do that. Uh, let me ask you a question, though, as we kind of move into our topic today of fasting. How would you like to have control over your bodily desires? Okay, how'd you like to have control over that instead of to have, have them have control over you? That is really the question that fasting is designed to be the answer to. Okay, and I want you to just consider that as we talk about this. I, I like to eat, okay? Um, I don't make any apology for that. I actually think that God approves of the fact that I like to eat uh, because, after all, it was God who instituted any number of fasts, I mean, feast days, rather. Um, and you can tell I'm, what I've been thinking about all week. Um, uh, feast days in Israel's calendar where they could celebrate their relationship with God, you know, where he tells them, eat the fat and buy sweet wine to drink and have fun, okay? Um, it's God who gave us our taste buds, you know, you got sweet over here and salty back there and jalapeno over there, you know, and all that good stuff, right? And you can combine all these things and, you know, you can, you can do like I do, you know, which is like... Um, uh, I guess this is TV for people who are into food, but you have the Food Network now. You know, you can watch Paula Dean make stuff with like three sticks of butter, you know, and, and get into that. And, and God gave us food as a gift. You know, he could have made everything taste just like Brussels sprouts, you know. I mean, I like Brussels sprouts, but if everything tasted that way, it probably wouldn't be great, right? It'd be kind of boring. Uh, or he could have made it so that we don't have any taste at all that we just eat strictly for nourishment, but we have pleasure in our eating, right? We do. God gave us that. Um, but like all of God's gifts, 
uh, our need for food and our enjoyment of it can get perverted, right? Uh, can get corrupted and become something that it is not designed to be. Okay, we have all have we have all kinds of bodily desires and needs. You know, desires for food and for water and sleep and companionship. Uh, probably the nicest way to say that. Okay, um, with someone of the opposite sex, um, you uh, you have all kinds of desires and needs, right? And all of those can be perverted. And one of the ways that food gets perverted is one that you don't hear a lot of sermons on nowadays. Uh, maybe it's because um, a lot of us are full gospel preachers um, that uh, you don't hear much about gluttony these days. Some of you got that, but others of you not. Um, it'll come to you later. You can put that in your pocket and pull it out later and you go, ha! <laughs> Just have a treat, okay? But anyway, um, but... Uh, you don't hear a lot about gluttony today, and yet gluttony is something that the early church a lot of times regarded as one of the deadliest of sins, uh, because it's, a, it's, a, it's something where your body and its desires have become central in your life. And rather than, living, that rather than eating to live, you now live to eat. You know, and we do that with all kinds of natural, normal, healthy, God-given desires. Um, and we uh, allow them to have a bigger place in our life than they should have. And so sometimes we need to reorder our, our priorities, and we need to uh, make some, we need to fast from those things uh, in order to have, in order to develop our control back over those things and to put them back in the appropriate place where they're supposed to be. Okay, so I want to look at fasting here this morning uh, in the time we have left. And the first area I want to look at is, uh, I've called it fasting on purpose. Uh, what's the purpose of fasting? Why do we do it? What's the, uh, what's the point? You, you know, you read about, in the scripture, you read about fasting a lot. You don't hear much about fasting in our culture. You don't hear much about fasting in a lot of our churches. And yet it's something that people do in the Bible a lot. So what, what's the purpose of it? Well, there are four big major purposes. There are probably more, okay? But these, based on my own study, this is what um, I identified as four major purposes of fasting. Uh, the first one is as a, as a means for expressing repentance and confession. And you see that a lot. Let me give you just a few examples. Um, first time you see fasting in Israel is in preparation for the Day of Atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement, or what they call it, they called it Yom Kippur. They still celebrate it to this day as Jews. Uh, Yom Kippur is the day when uh, the blood of a goat for the nation and the blood of a bull for the priest were collected and sacrificed, and part of it was burned, and part of it, part of the blood was poured out on the top of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. And it symbolized the blood of the sacrifice covering over their sin. Because inside the box of the Ark of the Covenant were things that symbolized the sin of the nation. The broken tablets and the pot of manna and Aaron's rod that budded. All these, these three things were three great rebellions in the nation of Israel's history. And so God put the symbols of those rebellion in the box. 
And then you poured the blood on the top of the box as a way of symbolizing that the blood of the sacrifice is covered over your sin. And so they would fast in preparation for that as a recognition that we are in sin constantly and God's presence dwells among us and if, and if he doesn't forgive us, we'll be destroyed by his holiness. And so you see that. Uh, you see that, um, you know, when a nation entered into the land, a lot of times uh, they fell into idolatry. And they would fall into idolatry, and then God would raise up judges to lead them out of idolatry and back into faithfulness to God. And the last of the judges was Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, it says that, that Samuel led the people out of their idolatry. And it says they put away the Baals and the Ashtoreth, and they served the Lord only. And they fasted as a way of repenting from their, their sin of idolatry, to do with their body what they felt in their soul, to communicate both to God and themselves that they're serious about doing what they're doing, which is turning away from their idols and toward the Lord. Uh, you know, after Samuel came King Saul, and then you had King David. And King David is legendary not just for being a good king, but also for having a massive episode of sin. Uh, he seduces his uh, good friend, Uriah's wife, and they have a child. And David covers it up and arranges to have the friend killed in battle and marries the widow. And then a little less than nine months later, there's a baby born. David gets confronted about his sin by the prophet Nathan. That's why I named my youngest son Nathan. Okay, the prophet. Um hoping that that turns out <laughs> to be right, okay? Nathan Michael, good name, okay? Um, but he, Nathan confronts him, and David is stricken by his sin, and he realizes that God is going to judge him. And in fact, God tells him through Nathan that you're going to experience my judgment, my discipline for your sin, and his, his son with Bathsheba falls sick, and he thinks, oh boy, here comes the judgment. My son is going to be the consequence for my sin. And so he fasts and prays. And God takes the, the life of his son anyway. But he fasts and prays because he wants to, to make sure that he's repentant about what he's doing. Uh, when Jonah goes to Nineveh, Nineveh, you know, every pastor, by the way, in the, uh, wants to be Jonah, not necessarily the swallowed by the whale part, but the, um, but the evangelistic success of Jonah, I mean, this guy has a ministry like nobody else, okay? He goes into this city, I mean, even Billy Graham doesn't do this good, okay? The entire city repents. They put on sackcloth and ashes, and they turn to God, and they say, Forgive us for our sin. Now, Jonah's upset about it. Me, I'd be excited. But Jonah's upset because these are Ninevites. He doesn't like them. Um, he's kind of a racist. But, and God confronts him about that. But the people fast and pray to show they're repentant. In Daniel 9, you see Daniel repenting. For the sins, not of himself, but of his nation that put him into exile, which is where he is. 
And he says, God, you promised us that after 70 years as punishment for our sin, that we would get to go back in the land and forgive my nation, forgive me as a member of it, for our sin that put us into exile and let us go back. And God leads them back. And they go back under Ezra and Nehemiah. And under Ezra, they quickly fall into not necessarily idolatry, but they start down the road toward that in that the, a lot of the Israelite men, including some of the priests, start to marry pagan women. Now, it was not a problem to marry a non-Israelite, but if you married a non-Israelite, she had to be a God-worshipping and God-only-worshipping non-Israelite. She couldn't be a pagan. She couldn't encourage you to worship the sun god. She had to worship Yahweh like an Israelite. And they marry all these foreign women and they bring all this pagan, all these pagan gods into their homes. And Ezra is tearing his hair out. He's the priest and he says, what are you doing? We went into exile for this. We just got back. And now you're, you're marrying foreign women that are going to lead your families and your homes into idolatry again. And so Ezra fasts and prays for the nation. And over and over in the scriptures, you see example after example, and I've just given you a few, of where when people have committed serious sin, either as a nation or as individuals, they fast and pray before the Lord. Another major biblical reason is to seek God's favor for some task that you are uh, about to engage in, which is beyond your capabilities. And so you see uh, the Israelites frequently fasting and praying ahead of a battle because they know unless the Lord fights for them, they're a small nation, they'll be defeated. You see Ezra uh, leading, the, leading the exiles in fasting and praying before they go back from exile. And the, te the, the text actually has this little interesting sidebar. It says, I was too embarrassed to ask the king for troops. Because here were the people of God going back to the land God promised. And I was too embarrassed to ask the king for troops because that would imply that God couldn't protect us. And so instead of asking the king for troops, we fasted and prayed. And God protected us the whole way back. In Matthew chapter 4, you have another example. You know, Matthew chapter 4 is all about Jesus spending time in the wilderness. And he fasts and prays for 40 days right before he starts his ministry. Because he knows that even though he is God, that humanly speaking, this is a task that's beyond him. And he prays for God's protection and provision and leading in his ministry so that he can accomplish everything the Father has set before him to do. Uh, third major reason to fast is so that God will reveal his will clearly. Uh, you see a couple of examples of this in Acts, actually two chapters that are next to each other, Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 13, the church at Antioch is about to send people off to be missionaries to the Gentiles, and they don't know who they should send. And so they fast and pray and they worship God, and God says to them as they're fasting and praying, send Barnabas and Saul the work that I have set before them, and they fast and pray some more, and then they send them out. And then 
uh, Barnabas and Saul go off on their first missionary journey and they plant churches every place, get stoned in one place and left for dead. Um, and on their way back, they visit all the churches that they've planted. And they know all of these churches need leaders. Well, who should we get as leaders? Hard to tell. Uh, hard to know exactly whether what you see on the surface is what's there underneath. We don't know these people that well. But, Father, you know them, and you know what's in their hearts, and you know who the leaders of these churches should be. And so they fast and pray, and then they appoint elders because they need to know what God's will is for each of these churches. Now, another uh, major purpose that you see is just as an act of devotion that you want to show in a special way, in a unique way, uh, to, as a part of your relationship with God, that you love him and you appreciate him and that he means everything to you and you're willing to sacrifice things that you need to survive for the sake of your relationship with God. And so you see um, under Nehemiah, the Israelites reinstitute the Feast of Tabernacles. They never celebrated it. Since Joshua's day, they haven't celebrated it. And Nehemiah leads them in to the reinstitution of this feast that they were supposed to celebrate every year. And they celebrate it again, and they fast and pray to show that they are serious. God, we love you. We want you to bless us. We want to be in relationship with you. We want to follow your law. We want to obey you perfectly. Help us, Father, to do that. And so they fast and pray. First um, Corinthians 7 gives another reason to fast and pray. I'm not going to go into it in light of who's here today, okay? But I will say that it points out that fasting does not have to be just from food. All right? Fasting does not have to be just from food. You can fast from all kinds of things that you need or that are strong desires that you have as a way of expressing your devotion to God and to say, I'm going to set this aside for a while so that I can be totally dedicated to the Lord. Okay? Uh, some of you men will think, I have never been that busy in my life that I need to fast and pray that bad. Uh, and running out of time on that one. Okay? Um, but it gives you... Uh, all kinds of reasons for repentance, for devotion, for discerning God's will, for uh, preparation before a challenging task that's coming up. Those are, the, those are all good biblical reasons to fast and to pray. Uh, so I want to look at uh, what I'm calling fasting in truth at this point, okay? And because the fact is, is that Fasting is one of those things that you can do externally that never touches your heart. In fact, the Pharisees uh, in the New Testament are indicted for this, that they're, they're frequently doing all kinds of acts of righteousness, and yet they never have a heart that pursues the Lord. So if you've got your Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 58 and read this with me. Okay, 
this can't be something that we just do on the outside. It has to has to tr- it has to be an aspect of a transformed life. This is what Isaiah says. Cry. This is God speaking through Isaiah. Cry aloud. Do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my day, my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no, no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not the fast that I choose to loose the bounds of the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, and when you see the naked to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? What's God's point here? What he's saying is you people are doing all this stuff on the outside. And you're saying, and you're confused because uh, you say, well, hey, we're fasting, we're praying, we're seeking the Lord, we want to know what His will is. We do this every day. In fact, God says that he, they do it every day. How come you're not listening to me? Is their question. And He says, because true fasting is not properly done without a transformed life. You can't fast and have it count if you don't clothe the naked, feed the hungry, help the oppressed, if you're violent instead of peaceful, if you are seeking selfish pleasure instead of God, if you're disobeying God's word and will in every other area but doing this, God doesn't hear you. You have, to, you have to worship God. You have to fast and pray with your heart, not just with your outside body. Because all of us can do things with, with willpower, right? You know, we can all crank up a certain level of obedience. Uh, most, most of you guys that have a job do it all the time, right? Uh, your boss asks you to do something. You don't want to, but what, what do you do? You obey anyway, <laughs> Right? That's not the kind of obedience that God wants toward him. He wants our heart to be right as well as our actions. And he wants our our correct heart demonstrated by other actions than just whether or not we fast and pray. Okay? Are you taking action to do what the law said to do? Is what he's asking Israel. And, and Jesus says the same thing to the woman at the well. Remember, he says, you must worship in spirit and in truth. It's not enough to do it the right way. You have to do it with the right heart. Okay? 
I uh, heard John Piper say one time, uh, dutiful roses are a contradiction in terms, right? Yesterday was Valentine's Day, right? You bought your wife a dozen roses. I hope you did not say, when she said, oh, honey, they're beautiful, you did not say as a guy, hey, don't worry about it, babe. It's my duty as your husband, <laughs> right? Uh, talk about a way to suck out all the romance out of that action, right? And if that's all that you feel when you do that, it doesn't honor her. It dishonors her, right? God wants the same thing. He wants us to honor him because we love him and because his love has worked itself out in our lives toward other people and to fast in that spirit. Now, let's talk turkey here, all right? Or let's talk fasting anyway. Um, by the way, I just want to tell you, this is hard for me to talk about, okay? Uh, this is not a faster's body, all right? Uh, I've not missed very many meals. I've fasted a few days uh, over the course of my life, but it hasn't been often. And I have trouble with this. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of us who are on that seafood diet that we all talk about, right? Um, and that's hard for me. And it's hard for me, but it's hard for me because it's... Uh, I. It's, it's first of all, it's a good desire. And second of all, it's something that is a God-given desire and something that feels really good to satisfy, right? I mean, when you eat that big cheeseburger with pepper jack cheese and the onions on top, I mean, that's good, right? Okay, lasagna, oh yeah, okay, bring it. Uh, that's, it's good, but you can, get, you can get it out of bounds. You can get all kinds of areas of your life out of bounds. Uh, whether, it's, whether it's sex or whether it's sleep or whether it's food. Uh, all of those things are things that can get out of bounds. There's all, any number of things that are God-given desires and are good. But nonetheless, met in the wrong way can hurt you. And so I say that just to say, look, you know, I'm on Weight Watchers right now. I'm ha having dreams at night of cheeseburgers, <laughs> okay? <laughs> um, I don't know what that says about me as a person, but it's not good, all right? But, but this is a spiritual deal. We're not dieting for f simply physical benefit, but it is a spiritual thing as a way of being hungry for the sake of being hungry for God, and realizing that, that, because uh, you know, when I've fasted in the past, what what becomes apparent to me is uh, how much I need food, how much I want food. Right? You get to the end of a day of fasting, and you're like, man, I know I haven't lost any weight today, but I feel like my belly button's rubbing a blister on my backbone, and uh, and I really want to eat. Okay, and what that desire tells you is this, that my desire for my relationship with God should be just as strong as this is. And my passion for pursuing Christ should be just as strong as this is. And if I don't have that burning desire, 
to know God and to follow him and to obey him? Or if other things in my life are crowding that out, then fasting is a way of getting at that a little bit and taking, taking the time that you would normally devote to eating and devoting it to God and to spending time with him. So how do you do this? Um, well, Jesus gave us some helpful words of instruction. He said, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, praying by himself, prayed this way, God, I thank you I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. If you're going to fast, you're going to have to humble yourself before God. And you're going to have to realize that the fact that you're doing this does not prove that you're an exalted spiritual person like this Pharisee thought. You have to humble yourself. If you're in sin, you have to repent in order to do it right. Um, and then after you discern the reason why you want to fast, maybe you want to fast because you've been struggling with a particular sin for a long time, and you've been giving into it regularly, and you're tired of it, and you want to repent. And as a way of sealing that, that repentance, you want to fast and pray. That's a perfectly good reason. Maybe you have a challenging decision coming up. Maybe you have... Um, a something about that you need God's will, a big task ahead of you. Maybe you simply, because you love Jesus, want to show how much you love him. And choose what you're going to fast from. You know, maybe you want to give up sleep for one day and stay up all night and pray. You can do that. Okay. Uh, maybe you want to follow 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, take some time out with your wife as a as a husband and wife, and devote that time together to prayer for a, for a while. Um, maybe you want to look very seriously at food and fast from that. Choose what you're going to fast from, and then Jesus says this: when you fast. Don't look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces to show that they are fasting to others. Truly, I say to you, they receive their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father in heaven who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. Don't give any outside clues. Don't announce to everybody that you know, hey, I fasted today. <laughs> okay. You want your reward? That was it. Hope you liked it. <laughs> okay. Um, do your fasting in a way that's, that's kept secret. And by the way, notice what Jesus says twice in that little passage. He uses the word when, not if. When you fast, do this. And when you fast, do this. Now, some quick application on this here before we close. Um, 
In Matthew 9, Jesus is asked a question by the religious leaders of his day, and they ask him, uh, Jesus, how come your disciples don't fast? John's disciples fasted, and the Pharisees' disciples fast, and your disciples don't fast. Why is that? And he says, well, they don't fast because the bridegroom, meaning himself, is with them now. And when the bridegroom is taken away, then will be the time for fasting. Our bridegroom has been taken away, so now is the time. Um, here's some good reasons I came up with here to, do, to, to fast or to uh, fast um, for yourself in these, in these days. Uh, number one, our nation's economy, I don't know if you've noticed, is going through a little bit of a rough patch. Um, and a lot of you maybe are victims of that fact. And you need God's favor in your life. And you need God to bless you and to provide for you. And fasting may be a way of coming to God uh, in a way that is serious and that is sustained and in-depth. Um, there's a lot of people in our church who need God to help them in a, frankly, miraculous way. Uh, people like Andrea McCullough, who's down to part of one kidney. Uh, people like uh, Carol Miles. People like Estelle Shelton. People like any number of other folks that are out there on our, that are on our prayer list that we pray for. People who need God to intervene. And you can fast and pray for them. You really can. And who knows, God might answer in a special way as a result of that. Uh, maybe you have a personal sin that you need to get freedom from. Um, you know, there, when, you, when you have muscles in your body, um, they enable you to do certain things, right? Uh, when you work out with your, uh, you know, with those squeezy things, you know, I don't know what those are called, with a deal you squeeze together or you play with a tennis ball, it enables you to take the top off of a jar of spaghetti sauce, right? Uh, some of you guys, your wives, really appreciate that ability, right? But you, you work out and you build certain muscles, right? Fasting is a way of building your muscles that have to do with abstaining from certain things, even good things, uh, if you're going to enjoy them in the wrong way. And so fasting can help you if you have a personal sin that you're engaged in that you are having trouble getting free from. It can be both an act of repentance and an act of devotion, of dedicating yourself to, uh, to God's will and God's way in your life and saying, I don't want to do this anymore and I want to learn how not to. If I can fast from food, which is something I need, then I can surely fast from this, which is something I don't. Right? Um, you have a major decision coming up that you need to discern God's will on. Fast. Seek the Lord. Uh, do, you, do you need uh, God's favor for some really challenging task that you're about to engage in? Um, we're going to start some new ministries in the fall. That's a task that's really beyond us. Not the mechanical side of getting it started 
but to see it work and function and serve the Lord in a way that honors him, we're going to need his help on that. In fact, we're going to need more than help. We're going to need God to show up in a big way for us. Um, fast and pray. Do you just want to enjoy a special time of fellowship with God? Fast and pray. There's never a good time not to, in other words. Fast and pray. Now, uh, I just want to tell you this here practically. Uh, I will be here on Tuesday morning early to open up the church building and uh, play a little music and in the sanctuary here. If you want to come in and spend some time in prayer, uh, we will be here all day uh, until 6 o'clock that night. Okay? Uh, you can come in. You can, you can say Tuesday is a good day to fast and, uh, and spend the day doing that. And nobody has to know about it. We don't, we're not going to uh, uh, publish the names of who was here and who was not or anything like that. Just come in and fast and pray and connect yourself to God in a special way. Whether you need to repent, whether you just need his blessing or a special answer to prayer, this is a biblical means for having all of that occur, okay? So let's pray, and um, and we'll be dismissed here soon so you guys can eat lunch, all right? <laughs> uh, Rick's going to come and lead us in a song, and then uh, we're going to provide time for the elders to, uh, to pray with you if you want to have that. So um, be encouraged to come on down if um, you'd like to pray with one of our elders. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you that you are a God who hears. You are, as Hagar said, the God who sees me. And you look down from heaven through all the light years of the stars and the universe to little old me and to each one of these people. And you see their heart, you see their needs, you see where we are, and you care for us and you look after us, and you love us, and you want to be known by us and for us to know you in a deep way. Father, I I pray that we would pursue you with all of our heart, that we would allow nothing, not even the food that we need, to exist every day, to stand in the way, or to have a greater place of prominence and priority in our lives other than you. Father, we pray we would seek you wholly. In Jesus' name, amen.